why transgender issues are front and center in Georgia. After 18 years old, whatever they decide to do is their business. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of your political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome, and be sure to subscribe at Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Well, before we begin, Patricia, welcome back. We missed you while you were on spring break. Mine isn't for a couple more weeks. Thank you so much. Um, It's just very therapeutic to get on a plane and leave this joint. It is very helpful. (laughs) You know, I've always covered national politics. And so not until this job have I lived in the same fishbowl as the fish that I write about. And so um, there's just a level of stress with that that you don't realize. Like when you go to the grocery store, you're worried you're going to bump into somebody who's mad at you or perhaps maybe they're happy with you. I don't know. It was, it's just nice to go somewhere where you're just, you know, you're just hanging out with your kids and the family and um, my husband. It was just wonderful. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And it's great to be back. I am refreshed. I will say that even sometimes when you go (laughs) way far away, you still bump into the same folks. I remember uh, uh, bumping into Sam Olin's in Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We went to Colorado and my kids were sledding and literally there were only two other people on the Hill and it was, they were our neighbors who lived two doors down and they moved away a couple years ago. But we're like, what are you doing here? Oh, that's funny. That's so anyway, yeah, we didn't get too far away, but they weren't mad at me about anything. So it was a wonderful trip. It was awesome. <laughs> well, we've got so much to talk about today. Coming up on today's episode, we're going to talk more about how transgender issues have been pushed to the forefront in Georgia, why the issue of trucks weighs on the minds of state leaders, gambling on sports betting legislation, and a closer look at Governor Kemp's mid-year budget. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Okay, let's dive right in. Georgia Republicans are putting their energy behind a fresh debate on transgender policies, and they're leaving some other attention-grabbing socially conservative issues behind for now. And this week is a prime example of all that. House lawmakers are debating the specifics of a measure that already passed the Senate that would ban healthcare professionals from giving hormones such as estrogen or testosterone to transgender children. Doctors also would not be allowed to perform surgeries on children seeking to align with their gender identity. However, under this bill, healthcare professionals could still prescribe medications that slow or stop puberty. Now, the Senate passed a measure last week, despite opposition from Democrats, who said it would endanger the mental health of transgender children. The House committee 
just voted this week to approve its version of the measure today. Here's University of Georgia student Jacob Pace speaking against the bill. The statistics show that this bill does not protect children. What it does is it severely impacts their mental health. Using current research from the National Institute of Health, and if you put that into a mathematical model, you can get the estimate that only 32 people will regret receiving treatment, whereas an additional 569 Georgians will commit suicide as a result. The brain is fully developed by age 25, but gender identity is generally considered to be created by age four, and that's by uh, the American Association of Pediatrics. And so I think that it's important to realize that the psychosexual development is different than your ability to not do dumb stuff. That was a rare moment of levity in an otherwise really emotional debate. Uh, Republicans called this common sense legislation that would delay until adulthood decisions that would alter the lives of children forever. Here's Republican State Senator Cardin Summers on why he's supporting the measure. We designed this bill to make a pause for young people. I call it the Protect Their Children Act. You know, we don't want anybody to have gender surgeries under the age of 18 years old. It's a fraught issue, Patricia, and the testimony today was, in in some parts, it was really hard to watch, hard to listen to. Yeah, and even in the state Senate, or I'll say especially in the state Senate, um, State Senator Sally Harrell is a Democrat. She has a transgender child, and she has spoken in the chamber more than once to try and tell her colleagues um, about what she thinks they should be doing. And it is not banning surgeries or banning um, hormone replacement. She said uh, what she sees is a really desperate need for education for doctors. She said that doctors, pediatricians, frequently don't even know um, what to say, how to say it, um, what steps they can and cannot suggest or what uh, what they can and cannot provide, um, not legally, but just sort of what is the medical universe on this situation that feels like it's changing very, very rapidly in terms of people's knowledge and education in this space. And Sally Harrell said, if you want to do something, please pass funding for training of pediatricians. Please do not pass bills that make permanent um, laws to ban um, the type of care that children and their parents are seeking together. And, um, you know, her argument has fallen on deaf ears. Uh, it has not been something that has swayed her um, swayed her colleagues, um, but it has been very, very emotional. She has said she herself has really struggled with this and her own family. Um, they're just working together really hard, including through therapy, just to adjust to their new normal. But you can tell from the way she talks about it, it is just so personal. And it feels like one of those spaces where lawmakers are passing bills where the the people involved in these issues do not want bills passed. They want more information, more education, but less permanent bans on things. Um, now, State Senator Ben Watson is himself a doctor and set, and explained why he felt like this bill was important to pass. But I think if you overlay sort of like the medical conversation and then just the political realities here, that for Republicans, this is the social issue 
where all of the energy feels like it's really being pumped into this year. Um, when Herschel Walker was campaigning, the biggest applause line out of any 45 minute speech was his, in his words, keeping men out of women's sports. It is an animating issue on the right. It's almost the animating issue on the right. They feel like Republicans feel like it's the example of uh, Democrats being totally disconnected from mainstream America. But for these families and their individual children, they just feel like Lawmakers have no business passing these laws. And that is the exact debate that we saw in that committee today. Patricia, I think that's a really good point because it's a reminder, this this whole debate, that transgender-related restrictions have become sort of a go-to for Republicans in lieu of other controversial issues that are that are kind of on the back burner, at least for now, now that an election is behind us. We've seen proposals to restrict abortions, expand gun rights limit how sex and gender are taught in public schools and allow Bucket to secede from Atlanta, all fail to advance last week's crossover day. Meanwhile, this issue moves forward. We, As you mentioned, Herschel Walker, it was this his sort of standard biggest applause line at campaign rallies, even long after the primary, when you typically see candidates kind of broaden their message. Uh, Herschel Walker went continuously went back to the transgender issue. And Governor Kemp, of course, he last year approved a law that allowed high schools to ban transgender girls from competing in women's sports. So uh, this is seeming like continues to be an issue that Republicans will gravitate towards. And it's certainly not in Georgia alone. A number of other states have passed similar measures to the one that Georgia is now debating. Yeah. And uh, Georgia Equality and a number of other groups, um, LGBTQ groups, have counted more than 400 transgender bills moving through state legislatures right now. This is really um, sort of the the trend, the trendiest, I would say, social topic for lawmakers to be working in. Uh, for one reason, it's one of the least legislated spaces um, because it's a relatively new issue for lawmakers to be working through. It also, you just cannot understate how much of a slam dunk Republicans feel like the politics are for them on this. And so they are, they feel like the policy and the politics line up for them very much. Um, I will say, that is not a universally held opinion among Republicans, even in the mm -hmm. Georgia legislature. They feel like um, they want to be working through bread and butter issues, tax cuts, tax rebates, um, affordable housing, uh, making Georgia uh, continually, quote, the number one state to do business. We love they uh, love to talk about that. It's a something they're really proud of. Um, so there is a group of Republicans who really would rather focus on business issues and sort of bread and butter education issues, literacy, just mainstream topics. They don't want to be having this conversation about transgender surgeries and hormone blockers, um, but uh, or rather hormone replacement therapy. Um, but it's the conversation that's being brought to them by the grassroots and by um, the more further right members of their caucus. And so this is not on the agenda for Governor Brian Kemp when he told, told us what he was interested in passing this year. It's not on the agenda for Speaker John Burns, but it is on the agenda for Republicans now. Certainly. And we haven't seen a big faction of Republicans, even though we hear that privately and sometimes publicly. A lot of those Republicans still end up voting for this type of legislation. We haven't seen them balk at it in a way that we've seen them balk at some other proposals like religious liberty or others that they worry um, could have unintended consequences. Um, I do want to play some audio from State Representative Carla Drenner, a Democrat who's the first openly gay member of the Georgia legislature. 
and two Republicans who backed the bill. One is State Senator Cardin Summers. The other is State Senator Ben Watson. The finding sections of your bill are Section 1. Can you please uh, illuminate us as to where this information was derived from? Speaking I, with doctors and professionals, that's where it came from, Representative, in regards to that. And parents, that it just basically in general, regarding dysphoria and their children's under 18 years old. That's where it came from. If you're asking me for specifics where it came from, that you know, the Georgia Composite Medical Board would probably be one where we, Dr. Kilpatrick and Dr. Watson and I worked with several doctors and endocrinologists on this to get this information. And that's basically what we have. So what you're saying is that there's no peer-reviewed information included in Section 1. This is just anecdotal information that you are making generalized statements about gender dysphoria? Did you, I mean, Senator Watson, did you want to comment? Section 1, as you know, uh, that's the, the statement of why. The Section 2 is where the law actually starts, and, and you know that. That's the, that's the discussion relating to that. Yes, I'm clear that this is the finding section uh, to the bill. But what concerns me is that it's wrong. And if it's wrong in the finding sections, then the entire bill is wrong. We will continue to keep you updated on all the developments over the next couple of weeks on this measure and others. Let's take a quick break. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. We're not only the host of this podcast, but we're also two of the authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts and get six months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. What a deal. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts so you always know what's really going on. Okay, we're going to take a tour of some of the other big developments in the Georgia legislature over the next few weeks in the Capitol. Uh, First, Patricia, I want to talk about how Georgia lawmakers are spending your tax dollars. Look, you know, some lawmakers, they've privately told us it's a lot easier to pass a budget filled with cuts than one as robust as this year's version. Yes, we've heard that many times. Yeah, because it includes a surge of new spending powered by a record surplus. 
Let's start with the mid-year budget. This is very wonky, but it's the sort of the stopgap spending bill that Governor Kemp just signed into law this week. It's $32.5 billion, and it includes a property tax cut of nearly a billion dollars. It also repays the Department of Transportation $1.1 billion it lost last year when the state suspended the gas tax to keep fuel prices lower. Governor Kemp says he has kept the promises he made during his campaign. Last year, we returned over a billion dollars to the taxpayers of Georgia through a state income tax refund. This year, as you know, we are doing that again, giving $250 back to single filers, $500 to those who file jointly. And as I promised on my campaign, the FY budget I signed on, or the amended budget I signed on Friday will give nearly $1 billion back to Georgians for homeowner tax relief, saving them around $500 on their property tax bill. Patricia, it's really hard for Democrats to vote against these measures. Uh, There's only three members of the Georgia legislature who voted against the mid-year spending budget. All of them were Republicans. Uh, who said it was it, there was too much spending in it? And there's only a handful of Democrats who who have spoken up in general against you know these key elements of the measure. Most of them, I'll give an example: State Senator Josh McLaurin, a Democrat from Sandy Springs, said he was still voting um, for a, an, another piece of the budget that would that would give a, a billion dollar tax income tax rebate. Uh, but he said, "Look, you know, I'm voting for it, but the money should go to boost workers and critical jobs such as prison guards, pre-K teachers." It's always hard for Democrats to vote against bills that increase spending. Um, but this bill, you know, these budget proposals, they're broad blueprints for for the state's priorities. Yes. Well, they're broad blueprints for the Republican leadership's priorities, um, some of which uh, Democrats agree with. Democrats would much rather see, instead of these $1 billion one-time expenditures. So if you even just go through what Kemp just talked about, um, the $1 billion property tax relief, $1 billion tax rebate last year, $1 billion tax rebate this year, then there's the $1 billion gas tax um, sort of repayment plan sort of back retroactively. Now you're up to $4 billion. <laughs> that is so much money. Democrats want to see that invested in some kind of long-term plan Medicaid expansion, uh, long-term permanent, very high pay increases for teachers, or as you heard Josh McLaurin say, law enforcement officers, prison guards, um, state employees who are just chronically underpaid and extremely difficult to recruit um, in large part because of that pay scale. So Democrats um, agree with a lot of this stuff. They agree with the mental health spending. They agree with a lot of the um, healthcare spending that's in there. There will be pieces in the budget coming up that is going to pay for expanded um, Medicaid access for new moms. You know, there are a lot of things that they, that they like. They just don't like it all, but this is, you know, this is legislating. This is what, this is what legislating is all about. It's not a wish list. It's a negotiation. And when you're in the minority, it's not even a negotiation. It's just a, um, it's just sort of an assessment really of, can I do this? And yes, they can do this. This is a lot of money. It's for a lot of priorities they like. It's not where they want it all where they want it to go, but a lot of it is going to be real popular with their voters as well. And Governor Kemp also hopes that leaders in Washington pay keen attention to Georgia's budget. That you can hold the line on spending that you can use innovation to make government more efficient and streamlined 
and that you do not have to raise taxes on people to do that. So we might be hearing more about this over the next year or two, especially if we, we start talking about Governor Kemp um, more as a potential 2024 candidate. We will see. I, I want to mention another big piece of uh, not this particular budget, but the next debate over the next fiscal year's budget, because the governor, he tucked a surprise into that spending proposal that really delighted a number of Democrats. It's a budget item that would boost funding for the Hope Scholarship and at least temporarily end a two-tier award system that many lawmakers have had long hoped to eliminate. Um, but now that extra funding, Patricia, it's at the center of a rift over higher education priorities. Um, basically, back in 2011, lawmakers slashed the Hope Scholarship Awards. It used to be cover full tuition for people like me who were lucky enough to get it way back when. Um, for the last few years, it has uh, only covered about 90% of those costs. Now, under a House proposal, it, that would be 95%. But Governor Kemp and a number of other Republicans and Democrats want it to fund the entire 100% of the Hope Scholarship. Um, and so there is a debate going on. It's really fascinating for me to see this because Hope Scholarship was at, at the center of the 2018 campaign. Really, on the Democratic side, there was a big clash between Stacey Evans and Stacey Abrams. Stacey Evans, a state lawmaker who's now back at the state capitol, had been a chief advocate of fully funding the uh, the Hope Scholarship. Stacey Abrams was one of those lawmakers that that had worked uh, with the then Republican governor, Nathan Deal, in a bipartisan coalition to rein in uh, some of the Hope Awards because the pro- there was worries that the program would go insolvent. Um, but now that debate is back and we're seeing it right before our very eyes over whether or not the state has the money uh, long-term to, to fully fund the Hope Scholarship once again. Yeah, and it's it's actually a little bit hard to assess the state's long-term economic health. It sure feels healthy right now, but a lot of this is really boosted by federal spending that has just absolutely flooded into the state. A lot of that COVID relief money um, is still filling up coffers um, at the local level. So you just don't feel the austerity that you tend to feel in out years when you um, have high unemployment and major, major financial meltdowns. Um, right now in Georgia, particularly with all of the new jobs coming into the state, it just feels extremely prosperous, but it's hard to tell what is a part of, um, you know, what's sort of the hangover from the federal infusion of COVID cash versus what are real durable budget dollars that the state's going to be able to work with long term. And so the concern about something like um, fully funding hope is that you're making significant promises to parents in the future who have expectations and they're going to make plans around that. Can you continue to fund that. Um, now, I would argue that you should continue to fund that. There's a lot of other stuff that you could stop paying for or pay less for. You know, I think all kinds of studies show that education is the biggest bang for your buck you can get as a government. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, it is hard for these lawmakers to know exactly what they're going to be dealing with. And we continue to hear sort of in the background of these conversations, by the way, there are storm clouds on the horizon. Yeah. It's hard to know exactly why or what they're talking about. Um, It's just sort of an aside of, yes, things are good now, but we know it's not going to last. Yes, things are good now, but. Um, So we're going to have to see exactly where the state's economy goes and just what the state budgets really look like in normal times versus what they've looked like for the last three years. Let's go on to another topic. This is the latest reminder that nothing is dead in the legislature until it's dead. Now, last week, 
House Speaker John Byrne sounded pretty definitive when he told reporters after adjourning just before midnight on crossover day that this year was not the right time for sports betting in the House. Well, he's kind of maybe, maybe he misspoke. Maybe we misinterpreted that comment. Either way, he was out a couple of days ago at the Atlanta Press Club where he said, and I'm quoting him here, we have a 40-day session last time I checked, and we're going to have a 40-day session this year. We don't close the door on anything. We're going to continue to talk. That was a response to a question about whether or not sports betting still has a chance this year. I would say it has a heartbeat. I don't know how faint it is, but there's still <laughs> it still survives even though four separate gambling initiatives were either rejected or they failed to reach a vote before crossover day. So as much as we say crossover days do or die for a lot of pieces of legislation, it's not always that way. There still could be a chance sports betting passes. Yes, there's always still a chance. There's always still hope. And maybe that's the role of a leader to let there still be hope, you know, while some of your members are still trying to move some of these these things forward. But I don't think we were really reading too much between the lines of Speaker Burns because between the lines of what Speaker Burns was saying were four separate bills that did not pass. (laughs) And two that had huge, huge defeats. One had a gigantic Senate defeat, just like in the open oxygen of the Senate chamber where people didn't know what was going to happen. And then it just failed by a pretty decent amount. So I don't think we were sort of like being misled or confused. I mean, those bills have failed so far. They're going to have to build a different kind of coalition or tack it onto something that is extremely popular. Something new is going to have to happen with these bills to get more support than they've had so far. So maybe they're, um, you know, sort of like their lobbyist genies are back there uh, doing their magic, but it's still a really uphill climb. And if you haven't managed to show the support before crossover day, that is when your bill starts to get weighed down. It's not that it hasn't been considered. It's that it's been rejected. So they're going to have to go back to the drawing board if they want to see this become reality this year. Stay tuned. I still personally think it has traction. We'll see. Um, But Maya Prabhu, our veteran legislative correspondent at the AJC who's been covering this issue for years, is a lot more skeptical than I am. So, and it sounds like Patricia is too. So we'll, we'll see how this one goes. Are you projecting? Do you perhaps just want to start placing a few bets on your phone for the dogs? Not at all. I can't bet on any teams I'm actually rooting for. No, I'm terrible at all this. I just kind of ruin the experience. Yeah, exactly. Me. Exactly. And of course they'll lose the, the, the one game I bet on. Um, Patricia, uh, you know, I want to also, before we wrap up, talk about the column you're writing this week on, uh, it doesn't sound like a very, alluring topic, but it's a very important one on truck weights. <laughs> Let's dive in. <laughs> Sell it a little harder I next know. time. <laughs> but it's super important. It sounds really boring, but here it goes. <laughs> okay, here's why it's important. It's not just important to me. It has become so fascinating because truck weights, boring, until you get on an expressway or a two-lane road or I-16 here in Georgia, and you are driving next to a tractor trailer, 80,000 pounds. Should that be 88,000 pounds? Is that a good idea? That's the conversation that's been happening in the state house and now the state Senate. And the reason this bill has come to my attention is because, um, you know, we always ask lobbyists uh, down in the halls, Hey, what are you working on? What do you, what do you got going on? 
almost everybody I talked to said, oh, I'm watching this truck weight bill. I'm watching this truck weight bill. You know, those are people who are um, with the cities, with the county commissioners, with the railroads, with the uh, chicken farmers, with the timber growers. This is this bill has become extremely laden with lobbyist interests. There are big fights between groups that you don't usually see working against each other, different business interests, different members within their own parties. Republicans are not in agreement on this. Democrats are not in agreement on this. Um, and it is one of the most lobbied bills down there this session. It squeaked across on uh, crossover day after 10 o'clock PM with just a two vote margin in the state house. It's gone over to the state Senate Um and it's one of those bills that, um, to your point, sounds a little arcane, <laughs> a little bit arcane. Who cares about truck weights? Um, but it really has a very, very human dimension. I spoke with um, the mother of one of the um, Georgia Southern nursing students yeah. who was killed in that massive tractor truck um, collision in 2015, five nursing students um, were killed in that collision on I-16 by a fully loaded tractor trailer. Um, another a sixth student had a traumatic brain injury. It has just changed all of those people's lives, their families' lives. Um, it's just so, it, the, the human toll of these conversations is so devastating. And I wanted to make sure um, that as this debate is happening, that that human face is included because we got a lot of, a lot of lobbyists down there and not a lot of moms and dads. Um, there are some, but you know the lobbyists get their voices heard mm -hmm. a lot more easily. And so that's why I wrote a column about it. It's my Wednesday column. And um, I spoke with Kathy Clark, who is the mom of Emily Clark. And you know this family is still, um, will never be the same. And it's an issue that is much more emotional and long lasting and potentially devastating than it seems on the surface. On the other side of that, Georgia, is exploding its economy um, because of logistics, because of people's ability to drive a huge tractor trailer from the ports to Dalton mm -hmm. for solar panels or from the ports to Rivian with big uh, components for new electric trucks. So it's a debate that's going to continue. Um, and it's hugely important that lawmakers find the safest way to get these products from A to B. You're right. And it's, and sometimes it takes putting a face to these issues to really have it resonate in a way. Um, but it is a very big topic of conversation under the gold dome. I know that one of those committee hearings lasted for like five plus hours. Yeah, because, six hours. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's so many people who are deeply invested in both sides and it doesn't, it doesn't fall cleanly along party lines. Um, and we, we heard in the, you know, in the chambers, hours of debate about this too. And it's going to go down to the wire, it looks like. For sure. It's gotten through the state house just barely. It's um, over in Senate committee now. They had a 7 a.m. hearing on uh, Tuesday morning. Um, Greg Dolas all said, look, there was no other time for a committee hearing. Sorry, guys. Um, so it was not an effort to keep it out of public view. They, you know, they live stream those anyway. Um, but I mean, listen, that room was full. 7 a.m. full of lobbyists. There, there is a ton of money being spent for and against this bill. And it's a lot of mayors uh, against their own lawmakers. There's a big disagreement over this because these are local roads. Cities and counties are going to have to repair these roads and bridges that they know are going to deteriorate faster. So there's just a lot going on with this bill, A lot, certainly a lot more than meets the eye. So I have made that a lot more interesting in my you, column than you think. No, you did great. Look, you, <laughs> lawmakers are weighing very important issues. Boom. <laughs> well, <laughs> 
Shannon, you can take that out. It was terrible. Um, oh, I planned to. <laughs> he landed that plane. Wow. Well, coming up on Friday's episode, we're going to answer your questions for the listener mailbag, which you can now call into. It's the Politically Georgia podcast hotline. You can call anytime, leave a question, and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. Let us hear from you. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.